Uh, rumor has it the kids are back in school. Is that true? Amen. Yeah, amen. Good job on that one. Amen. Yeah. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, it's an honor uh, to be here on the west side uh, to see how you're moving. It's an honor just to be a part of something that is incredible because of what Christ has done in all of our lives. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross, and we just thank you for the hope that we have in Christ for all eternity. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, we are getting ready to wrap up a series, and it's called All In. And if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, All In simply means what in the church, what are the, the basic foundational beliefs that a church says we are all in? And really, every church that you're visiting ought to be all in on some of these and so today we're going to get into a really difficult one, and that is the end times. Now, I'm not saying you should feel sorry for me, okay? I'm not saying that. But if, can you imagine if you were given the subject, I want you to talk about the end times, get it done in 20 minutes. Okay, so anyway, that's kind of what we're going to hit today, uh, the end times, and why that really is critical to what we believe as a church is what do we believe about the second coming of Jesus Christ? Christ. And when I thought about the second coming of Christ, there is a word emotionally that just kept coming to me, and it's the word anticipation. I want you to hear the definition of anticipation. It's an emotion involving pleasure in considering some expected or longed-for good event or irritation at having to wait. Anybody been irritated waiting this week? Yeah. If you live in Bloomington, the answer is yes, Okay. Um, you may remember this, some of you that are my age and, and uh, older will definitely remember this. Uh, back in the 70s, there was a classic commercial on Heinz ketchup, and it was these uh, kids, and they used to have the old school bottles, and in the background was the Carly Simon song, Anticipation. And do you remember getting ketchup out of that Heinz bottle? Now, they made it look pleasurable. I hated it. I remember getting the kitchen knife out and like, this is the stupid, and I, it's amazing is that campaign ran in the 1970s. Do you know what Heinz did in 1982? Voila, the squeeze bottle. You can put a man on the moon. It took you till 1982 to get a squeeze bottle. So I want you to think about the times in your life where anticipation is exactly where you're at. Maybe right now, some of you are sitting here anticipating something. All of us know that emotion, the cup of coffee in the morning. Do we have any coffee drinkers here? Raise your hand. Yeah, we got a lot of sinners here. Okay, so you know what that's like. You get up. Matter of fact, have you ever woke up and like you're bone dry and like you run over the neighbor's house? I mean, it's like you got to have the coffee, okay? Uh, the big meeting that's coming up, the anticipation, the date, the kiss, the Dear John letter. <laughs> I've got a few of those. Um, the new baby, the call. You guys are a little slow. First service, just right on it, man. They're... The big test, the wedding, the waiting room. Think of all the things in your life that emotionally, it's all about anticipation. And I love the definition because it's true. Sometimes it's a pleasure, and sometimes it's downright irritating, anticipation. Now, I want you to think what that means as we look at the end times. We could easily spend time on the different perspectives in the church on the end times. Did you know there's one more than one view on the second coming of Jesus? Did you, did you guys know that? 
Yeah, well, there is. Okay, so I'm just going to give you two very brief uh, premillennial, and that is simply this, that the belief that when you look through Revelation, especially chapters 18 through 21, that Jesus will become, he will come back, there will be a rapture, and then there will be a thousand years tribulation after that, okay? The second is amillennial, and that simply is that uh, the book of Revelation, a lot of that is symbolic, meaning that there's not an actual thousand years, and that the moment that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, that the end times were beginning, and that when he came back, there would be one return and a final judgment right there and there. That's it. Now, yeah, yeah, raise your hand if you're ready. Good job. Yeah, let's pray and go home. Okay, so now, now here's the sad truth, that there are there are churches that would lean one way or the other and say, if you don't believe what we believe on the end times, that could actually be a matter of salvation. I want you to know straight up, we don't believe that. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, that we believe. 300 references in the Bible that he's coming back a second time. So bank on that. Now, here's what's interesting about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, when people really work themselves up about the exact day. Jesus doesn't know when the second coming is. Remember that. Scripture tells us that Jesus himself doesn't know when the second coming is. Matter of fact, there's a remarkable parable, and I want you to think about it from a different perspective this morning. It's in Matthew 25, which has three parables that I love. But in Matthew 25 is this parable, and uh, you may remember the, the Lord of the Master leaves for a foreign land, and there are three specific workers, and they all have talents. One has ten, one has five, one has one. And the one with the ten talents doubles it. The one with five doubles it. The one that had the one talent buried it, did nothing with it. They didn't know when the master was coming back, but when the master came back, he was furious because the one who had even the one talent did absolutely nothing with it. And then he was actually tortured. I mean, the, the Bible's pretty clear about what happened. Now, when I would teach that, and when I've heard it taught, the focus is always on whatever talents you have, multiply those talents. Let God use your talents, because we all have something that we can give back to God. But here's what I think was going on behind the scenes. This was also a foreshadow of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In that teaching, he's saying, listen, when the master went to a foreign land, they didn't know when he was coming back. So they lived every day as if the master were coming back. Does that sound familiar? He's coming back. What if this morning we knew for certain that Jesus Christ was coming back today? Would it change how you lived today? I think our worship would be different. My guess is the moment we left the church, there's some people that we would call because we'd be like, oh man, this is crazy. If he's coming back, decisions have to be made. What if we lived every day that way? It's interesting, the chapter of the Bible, 2 Thessalonians 1, that's what we're going to get into. The church in Thessalonica, this is the struggle they're having. They're saying, you know, people have died. Jesus hasn't come back yet. And he's, they're saying, Paul, can you give us some answers on the second coming of Jesus? And so he begins to give them answers because, interestingly enough, there was actually folks in Thessalonica that gave up going to work. They just decided, if he's coming back, why work? 
which I say, amen, yeah, but it doesn't work that way. And that's what Paul's saying is you live your life every day, full throttle, as if he's coming back. But here's the deal. We don't know when he's coming back, but we do know the following things, the results of his second coming. And this morning, we're going to talk about those three results, okay? And it's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to get into verses 6 through 12. Again, if you're taking notes, I'd love to see you guys writing down notes. Even if you're not actually taking notes on the sermon, you're writing letters to somebody. I don't care, but at least you're giving it the good American try. And here's the first one is there will be justice at the second coming of Jesus. Now, when I say justice, there's another word that goes parallel with it, and it's the word judgment. We need to know that at the second coming, listen in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. God's judgment. It is Charles Spurgeon who said that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Uh, Let me share how I've seen this work, and I guarantee you've seen it work. I've been in uh, especially settings like Emmaus at church camp, and other settings where there's maybe an incredibly piercing message of the love of Jesus. And I will watch one person completely lose it. I mean, their hearts are pierced. They, they experience the love of Jesus Christ. And sitting by that same student is another student, and he's on his phone. He could care less. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up the train. Did you not just hear? Okay, you know what's happening? The same judgment that pierces a heart is the same judgment where others say, that's not for me today. i got plenty of time. It happens all the time. And we need to understand that God's judgment is real, whether we want it to be real or not. The sad truth is, and I'm just going to sound like an old man here, I think we've kind of pulled away. I think we've got kind of fluffy. I'm talking churches in general, and we talk a lot about the love and the mercy, and we should, and the grace of God. We don't want to talk about the judgment of God, but here's the deal. It's real, okay? This is real. And at the second coming, we need to realize that the justice and the judgment of God is not only real, it is fair. Because God is perfect. His justice and his judgment is perfect. Now, why is that hard for us to comprehend? Because you're just like me. I look around and I see countless uh, examples in our government, in our courtrooms, I see, and all around us where things are not just and things don't seem fair. All of you who have kids and grandkids, how many times have you taught this lesson? And finish it with me. Life isn't fair. Yeah. I remember a a day uh, years ago when it was a a conversation with Caleb, my son, and uh, it was, do I answer him honestly or a, a preacher answer? And normally I leaned into the preacher thing, and he always picked me off on that one. So he he was playing football, a little peewee football, and he was so mad one day. He came in, he threw his helmet down. Uh, He's got a temper like his mom. And anyway, he he said, um, Dad, that kid that's got my position, I'm faster than him. I'm stronger than him. I work harder than him. The only thing is, his dad is the head coach. Is that fair? Now, my preacher answer was, now, work harder. That's not what's going on. And I decided just telling the truth. I said, you're absolutely right. That kid shouldn't even be playing. 
you should be starting. That's not because I'm your parent. Well, that's part of it. But it's because here's the deal. Caleb, life isn't fair. If you think this is the first time you're going to experience this, it's not. And I'm not going to lie to you, but that's the truth. Everybody in this room have been through times in your life where you come home and you throw your hands up and you go, are you kidding me? That isn't fair. God never said that life would be fair, but he did say that he, he will take care of the judgment and justice, and that will be perfect. Now, one of the issues is that we want God to judge like Clint Eastwood. You know what I'm saying? We want him to take on our battles. Like, God, make my day. Take him out. You know, we just want to give God a list. God, I'm, I hate to do this, but I'm putting my boss on the list again. Can you, can you take him out? You know, whatever it is, we want, and then we're like, what, God, are you not listening? We absolutely he's listening. But here's what I love about God's judgment and his justice is that it's on his time. It's not on our time. Deuteronomy 32:35 tells us that God's love is perfect. And we need to understand something about God's justice is that it is very often very slow. He doesn't just immediately jump in. God gives people second chances. He gives people time. And let's be honest, aren't you glad God gave you time? I'm glad he gave me time. My guess is everybody in this room has experienced judgment in this world. When I was around um, 12, um, for all the parents here who have 12 and 13-year-old boys, can we have a time of silence right now? Okay, that's a great age, isn't it? And when I was around 12 or 13, I was, um, uh, I was a hellion. I don't know the best way to put it in church, but um, I, I couldn't stand going to church. And uh, mom was getting really nervous because, uh, you know, I didn't have a dad. And so she knew this is really going to be hard to keep taking him to church. And there was a new kid that moved in the neighborhood. And this kid uh, had a ton of money and absolutely no supervision. And he had a college brother. So that's the, fr- okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess here. First time I saw Playboy, uh, I'm just being brutally honest, got in some just stupid trouble around the neighborhood, had a kind of a mouthy neighbor woman, and I remember being very uh, vocal with her, yelling at her one time when she went by, and I was just headed for, I mean, a lot of trouble. And uh, then this kid dared me to do something one night. He said, hey, you remember that lady that we don't like, that neighbor? Um, Look, they've got their car parked outside the garage. Why don't we let all the air out of the tires? We. So anyway, let all the air out of the tires, uh, come to find out they were going the very next day on a huge family vacation. And uh, so anyway, I remember I was in the kitchen. There's sometimes you remember moments in your life. I was in the kitchen, and I saw Mrs. Reagan coming down the lane. She wasn't bringing flowers, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, I was a kid, and I'm panicking, like, oh, I got to... I'm, run, I'm running out like the prodigal son in reverse. I'm like, I have mercy on my soul. You know, I'm like, what are you doing, Mrs. Reagan? She goes, you know why I'm here. And I'm, no, I don't. Oh, man, she got to the door. Mrs. Robertson, I got to tell you what's going on. I've always thought Johnny was a sweet kid, but he's been doing this. He's, he's been doing that. He, he said this, and then he let all the air out of the tires. We know it was him because I'm not saying your kid's dumb, but he did a dumb thing, and, and he did it under a street light, and the neighbors saw him, and on and on and on. And this kid he's running around with, I'm telling you, is going to get in serious trouble. You need to know. Now, the world 
and my church, they saw my mother, and she was this very beautiful, white-haired woman, piercing blue eyes. I was 42 when she came around. Very gentle, lovely smile. That's the side the world saw. I saw another side, you know. And when she got out of earshot, man, my mom, she lit into me. And she usually would open up with, if your dad were alive, he would light you up. And then, and then she would lay into me. And she said, you sit down. And here's what's going down right now. That guy you're running around with, that's over. Tomorrow, you're going to tell him, no more. You're not going to do anything with him ever again. Do you understand that? Yes, ma'am. Number two, when the streetlights come on, you come in. You're going to drag your sorry butt back into this house, and you get to spend time with your mom. Is that understood? Yes, ma'am. And we're going to go to church every Sunday, and you better not complain. Yes, ma'am. Now, here's what I found that day. Judgment had a name, and the name was Aline Bertha Robertson. <laughs> You've experienced judgment too, haven't you? Everybody in this room, there's somebody in your life that finally woke you up and said, I, I think you think you're calling the shots. Here's the deal. You're not calling the shots. And there will be judgment. And there will be justice. And you know what? Be thankful for those people in your life that do that. Be thankful that God is that way. Judgment is real. Galatians 6, 7 says, we reap what we sow. There's consequences for the things in our life. And I love this. It's 2 Peter 3, 2. Highlight this in your scriptures. Write it down. A thousand years is like a day to God. And the reason I say that is sometimes people get really discouraged and say, I don't know why God doesn't send us judgment today. And I truly believe God is long-suffering. He wants everybody to know about the love of Christ. And when the time is right, his judgment will come. But thank God that God is patient. Second of all, there's going to be relief at the second coming of Jesus. Look at verse 7. And he will bring relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Job 35 verse 9 says, People cry under the load of oppression and they plead for relief. I know the one thing we all would agree, life is hard. And of all the things, when I think about the second coming, I want you to think about this. We will be relieved from the pain of this world. Now, this is just my, this is just my opinion, okay? That's just my opinion. I, I think in Philippians 2, when it says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, I believe the first people on their knees, and I always, when I was a kid, I thought, oh, those are all the people saying, Give me a second chance. I, I wish I'd let, I don't, I think it's all the believers are going to be on their knees like that. You know why? It's over. It's our version of it's finished. Why? Because life is hard. I can't tell you in the 30 plus years of ministry, the living rooms I've sat in, church offices, hospital waiting rooms, funeral homes with families whose entire lives have been just turned upside down. And the pain is so severe that they can barely breathe. And all they want is relief. Some of you have been there. And some of you may be there right now. 
where the pain is just to the point like, God, I just need relief. Have you ever thought about what the second coming does for all of us that are going through that? This week, I was reminded again, like we've talked about the International Furniture Drive, of the global impact of Sherwood Oaks. We had a family that, and I, I still haven't pieced together exactly how they were connected to Sherwood Oaks, but somewhere over the years, they've, they've had contact with Sherwood Oaks. But their daughter won a, a prestigious award, and so they were in the Bloomington area, and the entire family this week on campus, they're on the east side, were baptized into Jesus Christ. And as I was walking through the hallway, all I kept thinking is, why did they get baptized here? You know why they got baptized here. Because they knew back in China, they knew exactly what that meant. And then I thought about Brad Pontius. He's talking about his wife, Gail. And uh, they baptized a woman from Saudi Arabia. And the woman said, well, when I, I contacted my sister, she warned me against Christians. And Brad said, this sister won't say anything. But if she did, honestly, her life could actually be in danger. And see, I can't even comprehend that. I mean, trust me, I've, just like all of you, I've had times I've cried out, God, I just need relief. But, oh, I've never experienced that. And yet it goes on all over the world. And so imagine the second coming with people who've been persecuted and beaten for their faith. Imagine as they cry out, Lord and Savior, relief. Psalms 116 verses 1 and 2 said, God hears us. He hears our cries for mercy. And when we call him, he will listen. As long as we live, he listens. But ultimately, when the second coming becomes a part of reality, there will be victory. Once you follow with me in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. And the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And then look at verse 12. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed in the truth but have delighted in wickedness. When Jesus comes back, there will be ultimate victory. Billy Graham, uh, this happened years ago, was on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. Now, I realize as I use Johnny Carson, fewer and fewer people have any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, now, here's when you know time has flown by. Johnny Carson has been off the Tonight Show for 25 years. Now, that doesn't seem possible. So we are all getting old, okay? But Johnny Carson really enjoyed having Billy Graham on The Tonight Show. So one of the questions, this is unbelievable, one of the questions was, Billy, if Jesus comes back again, don't you think they're going to do it to him again? In other words, you know, they, they hung him on a cross. They, they persecuted him. It's going to happen again. Boy, without missing a beat, Billy Graham said, oh, Johnny, no, no, it's not if. He's coming back again. But they're not going to do it to him again. You see, he came back a baby in a manger. That's not who's coming back. He's coming back as a king. They're not going to do it to him again. Now, Johnny Carson wasn't used to that kind of an answer. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure it was like, let's cut away for commercial. 
But really, that was a time Johnny Carson probably should have just said, I'm in. Whatever it is you've got, I want it. We sang a song this morning. I want you to think about the lion and the lamb. Think about that. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a lamb. And he was slaughtered as a lamb. But not the second time. He's going to come back like a lion. And we've never experienced that kind of victory. That's what the second coming means to everybody that's here today. It's the ultimate victory. A few weeks ago, Marie and I, one of the things we, we wish we could do every week is go visit all the different life groups. We just believe so much in life groups. And uh, we had a chance to go to a picnic over at Roy and Karen Sieberts, and uh, it was just one of the funnest experiences. And when I went inside, Roy had the 1987 IU Syracuse game on. And I really didn't even want to eat. I'm on, I just want to watch the whole thing. And a couple of observations. Boy, their shorts were really short in 87. And Steve Alford never sweat, and his hair was never out of place. You know, he'd hit a three-pointer. You know, I just thought, oh, that was so, so good. And I started getting anxious again, like, oh, man, I remember where I was. I, I just remember screaming at the TV. Uh, and, then, and then all of a sudden it hit me, wait, and all of a sudden this euphoric emotion came over. Oh, yeah, he's smart, last shot national championship. You know why I loved it? And what was the difference between the first experience? I already knew who'd won. How many of you watched a game like that of your favorite team over and over, even though you know they've won? Anybody ever do that? Good. I'm not the only sinner in the house. So I'll, I'll go back over previous World Series, and I'll watch that last out as if I'd never seen it before. The Cubs, they get to experience that once every, like, a thousand years. But... but <laughs> We love, don't we love it when we know the outcome? And there's nothing like knowing ahead of time that we've won. There's a picture that I want to share with you, and it comes straight out of Revelation 19.11, and it says that when Jesus comes back, he'll be on a white horse. And years ago, when I saw this picture, I remember thinking to myself, you know, we have this dainty picture of Jesus, but the second coming, let me tell you, that's not who's coming back. Man, I'm telling you, there's a price to be paid. And I tell you, people don't want to think about what well, Jesus is so loving. There isn't going to be a judgment. There is going to be a judgment. If you believe in the absolute authority of God and you believe that there is a heaven, you have to believe that there's going to be a hell. It drives me crazy when people are like, well, a loving God wouldn't send you to hell. You're absolutely right. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to send ourselves to hell when we reject him. And at the second coming, all of that is taken care of. C.S. Lewis said this from the book, The Great Divorce. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And all in hell choose it. Now think about those words. You have a choice. God, thy will be done. Your will be done. Or, I don't want your will. I'll do it my way. Wrong answer. And at the end of it all, at the end of it all, the second coming of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is king.